from um, John chapter 15, from verse 18, all the way to chapter 16 to verse 14. <clears throat> if the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. I believe this is Jesus. If you were of the world, the world would love you as, it, as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember that the word that uh, remember the word that I said to you a servant is not greater than his master if they persecuted me they will also persecute you if they kept my word they will also keep yours but all these things they will do to you on account of my name because they do not know him who sent me if i had not come and spoken to them they would not have been guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. Verse 26. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of the truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Chapter 16. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming where, when whoever kills you will think he's offering service to God. Wow, that's awfully familiar. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you, but now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I will go away for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Considering judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Verse 12, 
I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. Verse 14. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Thank you. Thanks, Opie. I think we need to make an uh, audio Bible, and you and Hannah can be the options. <laughs> I like that. Uh, if you have a Bible, you can open it to John 15. Obviously, that's where we're going to be. Uh, just as a side note, I just wanted, this is a time of confession and repentance for me to you. Uh, as Opie was reading that, I found in myself just kind of like the evidence of the place and time that I live in, because I found myself almost being like, all right, when is, hurry up, let's, come on. And I just thought to myself just now, that's just so interesting that it just seeps in everywhere. This like, this cultural need to be rushing all the time and pushing through and and, you know, then I was reminded of First Timothy, where Paul uh, tells Timothy not to forsake the public reading of Scripture and that this, this is what we're here to do. And so it's just a little, little moment of the Holy Spirit just kind of taking me to, to discipline a little bit there, even as I was standing there just listening to Opie. So uh, John 15, we're going to kind of take an overview of what he just read um, uh, over today and probably next week. And uh, I don't know if you noticed the tone, but things are kind of getting dark in John right now, right? And you'll remember just a few weeks back, um, Judas left and John said it was night. And that, that's partly uh, because it was night, but also partly because they're getting to the end of Jesus' life here. And John is making sort of an artistic point that it's night has fallen. The darkness is overtaking, and that's the place we're getting to. Uh, and so a couple weeks ago, we talked about how John 15 in particular uh, can, if you want, divide up into three segments. Uh, the first part is about how the vine and the branches relate, right? The vine and the branches. Jesus says, without me, you can do nothing. I'm the vine, you're the branches, all of that. The second part that we covered two Sundays ago now uh, is actually about how the branches, that's you and I, the, the disciples of Jesus, how we relate to one another, how the branches relate to one another in love. And then today we're going to take an overview look at this idea of how the branches relate to the world around us. And if you didn't pick it up, it's not that uh, chipper. It's not that exciting. You're going to have persecution and suffering. Welcome to church. Glad you came today, right? So... Um, as I prepped for this, right, as I read this text this week and, and thought about it, there's some good stuff in there. Like, the, I'm going to set the helpers coming, and that, that's great. But, like, I found myself feeling reluctant to go here uh, because I just really don't want to play into that narrative that's, that's there for a reason, partly, but also an unfair narrative that all of us who would, might call ourselves Christians and might call ourselves evangelicals within that uh, have like this persecution complex, right? Like, so to talk about this text is like, man, I don't want to play into that. Um, and and let, let's just be honest about it and say, and, and, you know, I grew up in this. I grew up in the 90s as a church kid, youth group kid. I can remember uh, being told that if I spoke up for my faith at baseball or at school or whatever, I would be persecuted and all this stuff. And then I would see, then they would show like images of actual persecution happening in other places in the world. And it would be like this big, scary thing that's going to happen. And, and we made the mistake from time to time of overdoing it and kind of conflating those two ideas. 
like the kind of uh, persecution that's probably going on right now or is about to start pretty bad in Afghanistan, right? Like that is persecution. And so we conflate that sometimes with our coworkers or our neighbors thinking maybe we're a little weird for the way we think about certain issues of our day, uh, the way we, we take a historic Christian Orthodox view on you know, whatever topic of society you want to look at that's at odds with our little world, we can conflate those two things. And so this is a time when we have to strike a balance. We have to be wise and have discernment um, because talking as we're going to hear about how the world hates us doesn't mean that we're saying that we think all Christians everywhere are persecuted to the point of death or jail all the time. That's not what we're saying, uh, or, or even to the same kind of level, right? To say that would actually be to minimize real difficult suffering that is going on that Christians are dealing with. But at the same time, also hear me say, we can't dismiss Jesus' words here. Like, I wish we could. Uh, like, right? I, I, would, I like to read this and be like, come on, Jesus, really? It's 2021. Like, nobody's hating us like this. Come on. And so this is kind of awkward to talk about given this kind of moment we find ourselves. If you flip the TV on, you're going to find that there's this narrative where, you know, the, this side is persecuting this side and, and that whole thing is going on. And so it could be a little awkward to talk about, but this is why it's so good to just walk through a book of the Bible because we don't get to decide what we're going to talk about. We're going to submit ourselves to whatever comes up in the scripture we're going to work through. And so I didn't choose this text. It's there and we're just, we ain't skipping. So that's what we're going to do today. So let's dig in. We're going to just take an overview of this. There's so many things we could get to, um, but we've been in John for 56 weeks now and we, we, need to, we need to move it, right? We need to keep going. So let's start with verse 18 in John 15. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before. And yes, Opie, that was Jesus speaking. I heard that. <laughs> if the world hates you, know that it was hated me before it hated you. And this is so important, this part right here. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, right? The rhetorical question would be, what do you think they're going to do to you? They're going to persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. Now, wait a minute, Jesus. This is kind of shock. This is like a shocker of a statement a little bit. A Christian, you're telling me a Christian, those of us who follow you, Jesus, we should expect to be hated? That sounds like a bad way to go into a conversation, right? You ever done that? Go into a conversation expecting a fight to happen and then a fight happens? Well, that's not quite what Jesus is getting at. Based on the language here, though, yes, the form of the Greek in verse 18, it suggests certainty. That kind of language is certainty. You will be hated. But why, Jesus? Why, why use this kind of language? Why are you saying that our expectation would be that if we follow you, we will be on the outs with the world? Well, first, the world hated Jesus. Verse 18, the world hates you. Just know that this is like words of comfort from Jesus. You feel hated? Don't worry, they hated me too. Like, that doesn't make me feel that much better, but that's what Jesus says. But then in verse 22 to 25, he kind of explains more. He expounds a little bit more. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates, their, hates, whoever hates me 
hates my father also. So what is Jesus getting at? He's saying, listen, the reason, part of the reason the world hates me is that I came and revealed the father to them. I, I, the father and I are one. So what you see here is the father. And they don't like that because they're not, it's not working between me and them. And that means it's not working between them and the father. He goes on, if I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. Right? Jesus is saying, I showed up with the truth ruler and people didn't measure up and they didn't like it. None of us like it. They, they would not be guilty of sin, but now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. Now, Jesus' life, specifically through his words and his actions, his words and his works, demonstrates by contrast how sinful you and I are. Right? You want to know how sinful you are? Read the Gospels and look at the life of Jesus. It's a tough read. And, and here, he's demonstrating by contrast how, how broken the people around him are, specifically the Jews in this text, uh, and, and this leads to hostility because we don't like it when someone holds a mirror up to us. We don't like that, right? This is why parenting is hard. Relationships are hard. Marriage is difficult, right? Because that other person, in a way, shows you how selfish you are and how self-centered you can be, and how angry you can get too quickly. And, and so Jesus is even more than that because he's perfect. And so he's basically holding a mirror up to them and showing them what the nature of God the Father looks like, and they don't like it because it doesn't work. And so the inner life of Jesus, the inner life of his abiding with the Father, which leads to him becoming and being this person of love, joy, and peace that he's calling us to, that he's inviting us to, to latch onto as the branches to the vine, this inner life of abiding draws hostility out of people because uh, it reveals the, the kind of the shabbiness of their own systems uh, of trying to get after what they might call the good life. And, and we've talked about that so much, but you can name whatever you want to name as the good life. When you start saying that's not going to work, Jesus is the way, one of the responses you should expect is frustration, hatred. Well, don't tell me that I'm doing it wrong. Who are you to tell me I'm doing it wrong, right? And so a good look at Jesus uh, results either in abiding and going, man, I, it, I am on you know, a, a hamster wheel getting nowhere. It either leads to that kind of repentance and turning to Jesus and abiding or it can lead to hatred. It can lead to frustration. And people have the same reaction towards Christians who are little Christs, little Jesuses in the world, the very presence of Jesus in the world. So that's the first reason. The second reason for the world's hatred is in verse 19. And again, we emphasize this. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of this world. You are not. Feel like you don't fit in? It's because you don't. You are not of this world, but I chose you out of the world. Therefore, the world 
hates you. Now, last summer, we did a whole Wednesday night series of videos on the idea of the kingdom of God, and this concept came up a lot. And so um, the, the word here that gets translated as world, it's the same world as in John 3.16, God so loved the world. That's the word cosmos, and it's used several times here in this one verse. Now, this verse here in this context, in our text today, refers not to like the physical planet necessarily, but it refers to this sort of sinful system of reality that is the world. The, the, the overarching way of, that things are, right? Uh, one of the ways that for me is a helpful way to think about it, and I don't mean this in terms of money, but the overarching economy of the way things are is what John is getting at here and Jesus is getting at here by the world. All the systems and structures that make our cultures and our nations, all that stuff is what's being referred to here as the world. And so Jesus is saying here that the world hates believers in Jesus because we are fundamentally not part of that system. He has taken you out of the world and he has made you not part of it. Right, you you're in the world, but you're not of the world. It's it's a different kind of reality, and so this is why. And I've heard this so many times over the last few years. This is why, if you're a Christian, you constantly have this feeling like you don't know where you fit in. I had this conversation with my mom. She's probably watching right now. Hey, mom, and I remember her telling me it was a couple years ago, probably during one of the election cycles. I don't remember which one, but I remember her telling me like I don't know which camp I fit in. And we've said this a bunch of, but that's good because you don't, right? You don't fully, you don't fit in there. This is the most on the surface when we talk about politics and social issues, right? All of us have that angst in us. Like, I don't really, I don't fit fully here. Like, I mostly fit here, but there's these little things that I just can't square with my Jesus. And that's because you're not of this world. You're not part of this system any longer. So the reason you feel like you don't fit is that you don't, and the world has a way of coming after those who don't fit. But, but let's again just pause here and acknowledge some realities so we don't take this idea to places that it doesn't need to go. This kind of hatred here that Jesus is talking about is not always violent. Right? It, that's not all that he's talking about. Not every godly Christian is constantly persecuted. That's just not the reality. And not all unbelievers hate Christians every second of the day. That's, that's also true. The system as a whole does, but not every individual. So, so don't conflate those two. Most often, though, the hatred here, uh, as we see in this text, is reflected in attitude, and, and not necessarily in action. Sometimes it'll take the form of indifference. Sometimes you'll be avoided for things or passed over for things, if that's what's going on. Sometimes it can re reach repulsion or animosity, right? Maybe, uh, maybe you know someone or you are someone who has like family structures where this Christianity thing causes a lot of tension sometimes. That can be part of the way that it shows up. But then, of course, sometimes persecution is violent. That does happen. Uh, a commentator I read this week noted that the word persecute, actually in verse 20, can have the sense of, quote, to chase like a wild beast. So it can mean that, and it does mean that sometimes. And, and we may not be experiencing that. I've never experienced violent persecution for my faith, but it is happening in much of the world. Like, we, we can't go too far the other way either. 
the, the misery of the early church is being reenacted almost every day. That, that's true. And it could even happen in the United States. And if it does, it'll affect our health and our wealth, right? It, it would affect us. This is what we see throughout the history of the church and what we see in many places in the church now. A, a few friends and I had a discussion about how, how do we help our folks, these are pastor friends, how do we help our congregations and ourselves stay in touch with the reality that the church is a global thing? And I think part of the way is to stay in touch with this reality that suffering is the mark of the Christian church throughout its history globally. And so the question is not whether or not this will come for us or if we will really suffer. It it will come, and I'm speaking collectively as the global church, it will come and we will suffer. The question is whether or not we will continue to abide in Jesus. Remember, he has just taught that. Abide in me. Without me, you can do nothing. And by the way, they're going to hate you. And so will you continue to abide? When unfair treatment comes, will you continue to abide? When getting kicked out of your community of relationships, right? He just said they'll put you out of the temple. When getting kicked out of your community of relationships happens, will you continue to abide in Jesus? And so the third reason for persecution is stated in verse 20. And we've mentioned this before, but this statement is what is called, one commentator made mention that it's called an a fortiori statement, which means that which is true for the greater will be true for the lesser. Verse 20, remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Historically, this has been proven true over and over and over. Classic example, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he's executed at the end of uh, the war. He says this, suffering is the badge of the true Christian. The disciple is not above his master. Discipleship means allegiance to the suffering Christ, and it is therefore not at all surprising that Christians should be called upon to suffer. Christians should be called upon to. For you and I, a lot of times this might mean more like inconvenience. Like, man, Holy Spirit, I I hear you prompting me to go talk to my neighbor. It's really hot out though. I gotta do it today? And like, what if he doesn't like what I have to say? What if he doesn't talk to me anymore? And Jesus is saying, abide in me and watch the fruit. And so Jesus' teaching here demands that we that we draw some conclusions, right? His teaching here makes us go, well, what does this mean for us? And so a a primary conclusion is that smooth sailing is not necessarily a sign that God is pleased with our lives. And I want to make a real specific statement against the prosperity, health, and wealth gospel that would say that if it's smooth sailing, God is blessing you. That's just not true. That's not the gospel of Jesus That's the gospel of consumerism and wealth, maybe. And so smooth sailing is not necessarily a sign that God is pleased with our lives. In our church world of that false health and wealth teaching, we we need to hear this. If your life is nothing but smooth sailing and everything is going perfectly, don't assume that that alone means that God is pleased with you. The absence of persecution 
might actually indicate something is wrong. Now listen, you need the Holy Spirit. You need some discernment here. It's not this easy, I know everything we watch on TV and I wants to make it so easily on this side or this side, but it's not going to work like that with the Holy Spirit. You're going to have to discern. It might mean something is wrong, but you'll have to do some soul searching to discern whether or not that's true, or maybe you're just having a great season of life. Right? We have great chapters in our lives. Something might actually be wrong with your spiritual life, though, because suffering is the norm, not earthly success. Earthly success is the oddity. Suffering, for the glory of Jesus, because of his name, is more the norm. So what do we most often do? We try to find a comfortable spot, right, between the extremes of a godly life and a worldly life. I don't want too much suffering, but I don't want to be totally in the world either. And if we achieve this, what we don't realize is it's actually at the cost of our soul. We, we prefer smooth sailing on the sea of life over a life of being possessed and owned by God and taken on his adventures with him, which are difficult and require suffering. So we go through life with as little difficulty as possible. Like, right, I want to keep the difficulty down. But in order to get this, we have to sometimes accommodate ourselves to the world. Well, maybe I don't need to be so orthodox on this core belief. And listen, it just will not work to simultaneously accommodate your life to the world and also abide with Jesus. Jesus' invitation is an all or nothing invitation. You either abide with him or you are abiding with the world. And so we have to remember also that some of the persecution that Christians endure is because of our own sinfulness, right? I would actually venture to say that a lot of it in our own culture, in our own time where we live, is because of our own sinfulness. Sometimes we're persecuted because we're stupid and rude and arrogant to people, and they don't like it. Shocker, right? Sometimes we're persecuted because of our false piety, and people see right through it. Persecution is also not necessarily a sign that you are following Jesus. If you go looking for persecution and find it, you can't then say, well, I'm following Jesus, I'm persecuted. No, you're following something else. Hating the world back for its hatred for you is not part of the life of a Christian. And there is no room for any yeah buts in there, right? Yeah, but have you seen how mean he was to me? Abide in Jesus. We don't get even. We don't get back at people. We don't harbor that. We take every thought captive and turn it over to Christ. The one who we model our lives after went silent to the cross. Right? And so am I telling you that you have to always be silent and take everything that happens to you? Am I telling you that? Well, what I'm telling you is that your Lord was silent to the cross, and I'm telling you to abide in him, be filled with his spirit, and listen to his voice. That's what I'm telling you. The reality is that the scriptures proclaim over and over and over that the follower of Jesus should expect times of persecution. Let me just read some to you. These are all from the New Testament. 2 Timothy chapter 3, 
verse 12. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. All who desire to follow Jesus will be persecuted. That's 2 Timothy 3.12. Philippians 1.29, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. 1 Thessalonians 3, 3 and 4. That no one should be moved by these afflictions, for you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction, just as it has come to pass, and just as you know. Finally, 1 Peter 4. Beloved. That's your identity. Beloved. That's who we are. Beloved in Jesus. Do not be surprised at the fiery trial. Man, I have been surprised many times when things don't go how I want them to go. And then I have to remember, wait a minute. Jesus told me over and over this was going to happen. I mean, this is, I've had this conversation so many times with folks like, oh no, well, what about if this is the end times and the signs are happening and all, oh, this is what we know is going to happen. Abide in Jesus. It's the same answer. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. It's not strange. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. And remember, his glory was revealed in his suffering on the cross. And so what does God expect us to do? Should we, should we pull back and make a little enclave of, of Christian life to, to resent the world? Should we retaliate against the world? Should we get revenge on the world? No, none of that. We're, we're forbidden to return evil for evil. And that counts in our thoughts as well. Then what are we supposed to do? Verse 26. But when the helper, that's the Holy Spirit, when the helper comes, the paraclete, who I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me and you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. This is one of the paradoxes of the Christian faith. The, the thing that this world system thinks will cause us to go away and be quiet and, and if we persecute the church, then the church will go away. But as the old saying goes, the, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. The, the very thing that the world thinks will cause our faith to go away and fade into obscurity, suffering, possibly even persecution, maybe even unto death, that very thing is the perfect soil for us to bear witness to the beauty and the majesty of what? Our suffering Lord who is bringing a kingdom back with him. It's the perfect environment where we get to show that our allegiance is fully set on a suffering Lord who will call all people, all people, right? The old saying, there's going to be people in heaven you're going to be surprised to see, and you should be surprised to see yourself there. He's going to call all people to himself, and this Jesus has grave conquering power to turn enemies into brothers. We're going to be sitting around a table drinking wine in the new kingdom with people who hated us, because Jesus' blood is that powerful. This is why when you read stories of Christians who suffer around the world, you will read this really crazy thankfulness 
don't know if you've ever read stories of Christians who've been persecuted, but they sound like this. But we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Now, Jesus, at the start of chapter 16, to kind of close this out, he he turns very kind of pastoral. He almost flips that switch and, and starts to sound a little more pastoral, a little more in a caring tone, I guess. And when I imagine it and listen to it, he says this in verses one through four of 16. I, I have said these things to keep you from falling away. Hear the care in his voice. I've said these to, I don't want you to fall away. I've said these so you don't fall away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Now for us, that's not that big of a deal, but for them, that was massive. To be put out of the synagogue was to be expelled from the community of faith. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And in all honesty, that is happening today. There are those who are killing people who belong to Jesus, who think they're offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. That should break our hearts. That There are people who have not known the Father and who have not known Jesus. And then he says this to us and to the disciples here in John. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. Jesus is saying, I'm telling you this now so that when it happens as I'm telling you, you'll remember And, you know, we have an example of that with Peter. Jesus tells him, you're going to deny me, and then it happens and he remembers. And in a similar way, not not about, you know, speaking that way of Jesus, but in a similar way, Jesus is saying, I'm telling you this now so you'll remember when it happens. And what we know from the rest of the New Testament and from church history even is that what Jesus prophesies here, came. It happened. And the beauty of this story is that the disciples didn't stumble. They weren't perfect men, but they didn't stumble. Every one of them, except for John, it appears, died a martyr's death. They they never turned and fell away. They understood Jesus was hated. Our allegiance is to him. Of course we're going to be hated. We should expect it. They're not part of the world order. They're not part of the system of this world. They were obedient as they lovingly bore witness to this Christ, this, this Messiah, this Jesus. And so Jesus' words about abiding here are still in full force, right? He just said that stuff. Think about what he just said. I'm warning you of all this so you won't stop abiding. That's what falling away is. You stop abiding in Jesus and you're like a branch that's cut off from the vine. You wither and die. And he's saying, I'm telling you this so that you won't stop abiding because without me, you can do nothing. You will lose relationships maybe. You might even get to the point where you lose your physical life. But you know what? You were going to lose that anyway. That's the reality of living in the broken world. We don't have to fear death. It was coming for us no matter what. And Jesus is saying, but I'm warning you of this so you won't stop abiding. Keep abiding in me so that you can have eternal life, the life of being with Jesus and becoming a person who bears much fruit, the fruit of love, joy, and peace. Let me pray. Jesus, thank you that 
you and your word, because of how it comes to us, are honest with us. That you haven't painted us a picture that lies to us about the reality of what it means to follow you. We're following a suffering Lord. And so we should expect that suffering will be part of our story as well. And so I pray that as we experience suffering for your name's sake, that we would somehow be able to rejoice in that and continue to abide in you because that is where the life is. Father, we ask that you would guard us against believing the lie that if we just accommodate our faith and stop following Jesus and stop pursuing him, then life will be easy and everything will be okay. We know that that's not true. We believe that, Jesus, you're the Christ and that there's life in nobody else. So we want to come after you and follow you. We're asking you continually to fill us with your spirit as you do so that we can hear the voice of you, our shepherd, and follow you. And so I ask for your blessing on us, the blessing of your presence in our lives, and that as we go from here, we would be the witnesses you've called us to be, that we would bear witness to this beautiful story that you're telling in the world. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.